That's right, David. Officials here say they are taking no chances. They're already starting to shut down some major interstates here before conditions get so bad that they might be stranded in their cars. You'll remember last time, some people were trapped in their vehicles for more than 24 hours. David, 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 David. We turn next tonight to the other major headline unfolding right now. That major blizzard on the move at this hour, 20 states, a potentially historic storm, more than a thousand flights canceled or delayed, shut down for a hundred miles. At this hour, the storm is gaining strength, conditions worsening as it heads east. Winds above 50 miles an hour creating whiteout conditions. A highway patrol shutting down more than 100 miles of Interstate 29. The system even bringing thunder snow. At Denver's airport, a major hub, more than 850 flights delayed or canceled. Colorado's governor activating the National Guard in case drivers get stranded. To the south, the leading edge of the cold front spawning this gust NATO. Gated for riffs. All right. Hello, Earthlings. We are gained for riffs. And I am Jonathan, coming to you from the land of the ice and snow. A place where nobody's been, or, yeah, I guess a few people have been here. <laughs> coming in from Stockholm, uh, Monday recordings, Monday midday. How are you, Ole? I am good. I am today. I am uh, calling from Amsterdam, the land of uh, one hour of snow, one snowball, and uh, riots in the streets. Um Riots we got streets? riots going on. It's uh, anti-COVID, anti-wax, anti-government, pro-wrestling. I don't know. Like it's uh, <laughs> no. I, I I read about it afterwards in a extremely sarcastic um, uh, news item or like a in a in a in a paper, and it was so sarcastic. It was just making fun of these low lives walking around <laughs> with. Uh, like it, it was very weird. It didn't really take it seriously. Maybe it was kind of this reaction, or people having had enough of the after the riots at um, or the storming of the Capitol in uh, in Washington D.C. Right. And like here come the stupid Dutch uh, talkies that want to make some ruckus. But uh, hey, gain it for riffsters if you uh, are uh, post-vaccinated or pro-Trump, whatever stop listening or start listening whatever i don't care it really don't matter because i'm standing up today <laughs> i have a new right it's a new a totally new feeling i feel so good i'm standing up for for the first time in the riff history riff pod history yeah i mean i've been talking to a potential future guest and he has this uh, credo from uh, is it called credo yeah like uh, words of wisdom from uh, dying back there yeah. which is you don't go to war sitting down so he like never sits down and plays guitar, <laughs> and he's also the guy that always headbangs while rehearsing, <laughs> as are you actually. <laughs> and I think that's semi important to not get into this old man's. I'm only here. F this is work. Yeah. Or this is boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when in the rehearsal situation, still like rocking out because it's part of your performance. I think uh, to move. Yeah. And I had a problem with one or two riffs in in this podcast uh, that I had a problem with sitting down. I, I couldn't really play it the way I mm. wanted to play it. So I think it's a stand-up instrument, electric guitar, isn't it? It kind of, it kind of really is. I think. I mean, not from from the start, maybe not, but uh, later on, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I just saw a picture of the helicopter sitting down playing. Yeah. 
for some reason, you know, kind of maybe in the, in the middle. I mean, they've been the house band of uh, famous Swedish uh, TV program på spåret now for two weeks, which is pretty yeah. great. I mean, I, I I never watched that, but uh, for now, right now, I'm doing it. And in between them playing, they're sitting down. <laughs> it just looks, you know, like they might as well go out. Go out, you know. It just looks a bit stupid. They're just like yeah. twiddling on the guitar. End their career, going to pension, you know. Order order coffee with sugar and uh, and, and cream, yeah. you know. <laughs> but uh, did you see the movie yet? The helicopters. I'm in the band. I did. I, I bought a new VPN so I, I could uh, relocate to Sweden just to see it. Uh, it All was right. great. I haven't seen uh, it. Do you like uh, it? I liked it. It's it's interesting because the interviews are from 2008, but they released them now, so it's kind of going back in time to a time where Nicky Andersson mm, and like really? Dragon were That's cool the age that I am now, which is super weird. <laughs> they're, you know, they're yeah, they're yeah. 38 in the film or whatever I am. Uh, now they're 48. Yeah, and, right. You know, lots of, lots of, lots have happened, but then it kind of chronicles uh, their last days as a band and kind of reveals some, uh, some things yeah. that people haven't heard about before. It's quite dramatic, I think, in a way. Um, but it, it it inspired me. All these things inspired me to stand up today, and I'm like feeling a bit like uh, I don't know. You stand and talk. It's kind of fun. And, and I'm holding my. I'm just describing how I'm standing here. My guitar is kind of at uh, penis height. I would say it should be lower or higher, you know. But it's kind of a good when you're recording. And then I'm standing with my legs extremely wide, swinging back and forth, <laughs> holding the arm. From upwards, and then uh, from holding my hand around the uh, the neck upwards, yeah. and then my right hand like on the. It, it feels a bit stupid, but I'm alone here, so it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of fun. Is it slung low? Yeah, but it's pretty pretty low. Because um, I used to I used to have my guitars really quite low, yeah. you know, almost head feel low, but uh, I've completely. Uh, lost touch with that I, I especially if i play my telly it doesn't even look cool down there i yeah. think but i keep them at kind of a, you know the, the right height for it to be a comfortable tool <laughs> uh, and that's i kind of think i look cooler that way now okay but i wouldn't have looked cooler that way when i was 17 so it's a strange thing you know how how it kind of changes maybe it's like a t-shirt you're you're above a certain age you tuck it in instead all of a sudden yeah. it's no longer out and you don't even know why uh, it's like you, yeah i don't know it's it's periods of of attitude, I guess. Mm. Like uh, you gotta wear your attitude. Well, there is uh, this uh, stupid old old rule that you shouldn't have the guitar uh, like uh, on your crotch. It should either be lower or higher. Um, yeah. But actually, I, I find it kind of it's if it's lower. I mean, that's James Hetfield. That's kind of impossible to play uh, without like standing in a total split. With your legs. Yeah. That feels really strange. Bredbent. Uh, so Broadbent. <laughs> I think there's a guitarist called Broadbent or something like that in surname. I have a small recollection of it. Yeah. Like Terry Broadbent. There's someone called Jim Broadbent, but uh, who's that? Uh, probably yeah. him. Probably him. I don't know. Is it, if, would an English-speaking uh, listener understand the term Broadbent? <laughs> in Swedish, Bredbent, you know, it's standing with your... Legs wide. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, but I felt for the, this the riff today. I felt I might as well stand uh, because it really. Uh, I think sure. that's how I learned how to play this riff back in the day. Um, and uh, but maybe you can kick it off this uh, this time. That would be nice. 
Yeah, sure. And I'll just stand here. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, when I, w- with the riff I choose, you should imagine me with the Les Paul and standing yeah. up, for sure, slung low, uh, which is not the fact, but yeah, that's the image you should have in your head when uh, listening to this riff. Welcome to the jungle. Nice. Yeah. Welcome to the jungle. Wow. Guitarist slash band Guns and Roses, a band that I've honestly never been into. What were you gonna say there? Yeah. No. No. I was a bit surprised that you picked it, but nice. Nice. Very yeah. cool. And uh, I had this riff ambivalence coming into this episode. I had. I were a little bit all over the place, tuned down to B. Uh, with a pedal, but still, and tried a few of those really down tune riffs. And I, uh, I wanted to do some big band today, but maybe something. I mean, a lot of the big bands that I'm really familiar with, I've done already. So I had to kind of look outside the box a little bit. And uh, while never been a Guns N' Roses fan by any stretch, I've always liked this song, and I've always liked these riffs. Yeah. Uh, they have a certain rhythm to them that really marries the title. And we've been onto that before, Dancing Madly Backwards, for example, uh, that I like it when the title makes sense in conjunction with, with the riff uh, and the, 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 I mean, the over, overall musical vibe yeah. of the song. And it has that kind of groove, you know, which is jungly, right? Yeah. So uh, what, what's your relationship with it? It's such a great uh, intro. I think, I think the intro tells, can you just play the... the the first few bars again yeah the little de- delay yeah. thing you start on a high b so as high as the open b string but you fret it so like and then you start uh, alternating with the, the 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 b string the open b string still muted and go down this kind of box pana box so like while there's some epic chords on top of that yeah. really builds the mood and then with the kind of uh, alternating chords that bring you into the wor- verse the D A D of a sleazy riff there. yeah uh i like it. it's it, it the intro is so nice yeah with the chords on top i mean i was thinking to talk with you about that and i was uh, uh, soon and i might as well do it jump right into it 
Uh, but first, I, I want to say like my relationship to Guns N' Roses is <laughs> kind of funny. When I was ten, we had a music teacher in school who uh, was like, and this was oh ten, yeah, I mean ninety three something like this. Uh, and the music teacher, she was kind of grunge, and she was into all these bands, and she introduced us to, uh, and, we, and we sang, and we made like versions of famous songs on the radio then, and it was mostly rock and grunge and. Uh, we, I remember we were all singing like we made made a choir version of with kids choir of course. I mean, how good could it have sound? But we just belting out Paradise City or super loud in the music class, <laughs> super great. Uh, nice. But then I also got we also sang Basket Case by Green Day, and since that day that has been on my mind. You know, like a brain, <laughs> it's just uh, taking yeah. over my mind. I mean, if I, if I'm not thinking about anything. That one starts. It's like, oh fuck! <laughs> it's just green day, yeah. you know, basket, Which basket, uh, basket, basket case. case. Oh, yeah. Do you have the yeah. time to listen to me whine about the dun 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 the world? I'll always that a world. Guess um, I give myself the creeps. Get, uh, I'm not gonna get. Everyone's gonna get it on my now. Uh, we talked about them before, right? Uh, the kind of devious band yeah. that is Green Day. We're not gonna get stuck on them, but they had this devious uh, plan, or maybe brilliant plan, how they went from uh, the skate rock to the emo rock like, <laughs> seamlessly, yeah. and just kind of got everyone as a fan in a yeah, way. But they definitely had a a band meeting, like board and also meeting, also with the management and. the uh, Every yeah. everyone was involved with like uh, uh, sending out, uh, you know, doing inquiries inqui 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 with uh, UGov or something, getting the polls back. Like, are we going this way or that way? Really deciding. It was really a decision, you know, to apply uh, mascara <laughs> to this this whole yeah. political yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's sure. really it's brilliant. Uh, but but they, I mean, they they kind of uh, you know they succeeded. Where Guns N' Roses kind of faded into uh, obscurity and weirdness later on, but we're not there yet, I guess. I guess maybe you'll touch upon that. But uh, yeah, great song. Uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Uh, great album, also. I think it's a, it's a really good yeah. one. And I've been I've been researching a bit for getting it for riffs, but I didn't even I didn't really start. I, I don't know. There was just something. Uh, the riffs. Yeah, I don't know. How would you describe them? Yeah. The slash riffage. Yeah, I mean, I've got a disclaim here first uh, for your listeners. There might be some noise from the snow trucks outside. <laughs> so I'm going to go close the window for because they, they keep doing it. They keep doing their thing. Yeah. And there we go. Might add some exotic flavors for your listeners in the jungle out there. Because <laughs> this is the way, way opposite of the jungle. Snow trucks are doing their thing. It's snow, what is it called? Yes, it's snow trucks. Yeah. Yeah. Making it walkable outside. Uh, where were we? Yeah, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Huge exactly. album. Yeah. Huge album. I mean, maybe not for me, but... Uh, or everyone else. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to really like uh, look far to, to find huge fans. You, we could mention some Gain for Riffs alumni here, you know. Uh, you have Lars Ulrich. He heard this album and he was like, okay, this is like, this sounds like a real band. And, uh, you know, Metallica had just been up to doing Justice for All. Super intricate, super complicated. All over the place, you need sheets to remember the music. And then comes this kind of Rolling Stones-inspired 
I think they're very Rolling Stones. We could get more into I that. So. In, yeah, in a bit, I agree. They come in and they sound raw and they sound real, kind of aggressive, kind of groovy. Uh, it's kind of groovy, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I think they they were needed in rock. I think they were way needed, and I think with the quality of that album, Appetite, in combination in conjunction with with the times and how they were kind of needed to, I guess, reset rock and roll in a way. Uh, still not grunge, but kind of going there, right? Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that it's a huge album, and I hear all, uh, very often I hear like Tom Quee of Alpha Metallica. I think he loves this album. Uh, I listened to a Maiden pod a while back, like years back, uh, um, Canadian one. It was also like the favorite album of both of them. So you you keep finding people. This is a holy grail, I think, for many. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it came out kind of like, you know, like at the end of this glam era, okay, maybe during the peak, but it, it took, it had a yeah. totally different Seri- uh, seriousness to it like a a, a a vibe that was dangerous like really like it's a dangerous rock and roll band uh sure definitely and uh also but with also doing everything uh way worse than everyone else you know like uh how they you know like the scandals were like 10 times bigger axel rose was such a way bigger star than um uh, what's his name? Your favorite from Metal Crew, Vince Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Vince Neil, but also one so, of the worst person. But also like bigger today. than James Hetfield, uh, definitely more charisma and like, but weird stuff going on. Uh, but also yeah. like a good-looking dude and a good-looking band. You know, kind of the perfect sure. storm of uh, American rock music, I would say. Yeah, and I mean they used to have these um, these choir or backup singers. You know, like cool cool black chicks doing uh, backup singing and, you know, just a bit of a different attitude altogether. And this kind of, I call it rock big band, you know, <laughs> because I think now they use three guitars, yep. uh, possibly keys. And uh, they always had, you know, like, uh, of course you have uh, Slash, but you also have uh, Duff McKagan on the mm. bass, uh, like quite prolific member. And then, uh, shit, what's his Lissy name? Stradlin. Izzy. Izzy Stradlin. Izzy, yeah, on the other guitar. And, you know, it's he, I think he wrote a bit of quite a bit of music as well and they have this uh rolling stones remind me they remind me of rolling stones with this uh, big band setup that for me it loses a little bit of character because it's so uh kind of layered and uh, show like you know it reminds me of a uh, showtime rather than gig time in a sense i don't know what's your what's your comment on uh, this like uh com- coming from stripped down trios that i really like <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't uh, necessarily agree with that one. I think uh, uh, they had enough pos- uh, personality in Spades. Um, also, maybe it's easier when you have a, you know, a singer that's just uh, just a singer and doesn't have to yeah. play the bass or uh, play a guitar true, at the same true. time and really has time to run around like Bruce Dickinson. I mean, this is more, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're ta- we were talking for four episodes about Maiden. I mean, no, they kind of became this rock big band now, right? Because there's seven people, six on stage and one yeah. uh, backstage performing. So they are also in this now. I mean, far cry compared to maybe when they did um, Prowler live in 79, you know. So it's a direction, and they were also severely influenced by Guns N' Roses uh, in turning into the 90s. Yeah. 
And I think they failed in, in trying to emulate the Guns N' Roses <laughs> maybe, sound. They maybe. never got close. Um, but so, what is the Guns N' Roses sound? Do you have a, a take on that? Maybe going from using this track because I think it's uh, it has it has it all. Yeah, I think it's a lot about attitude. Yeah, I think that's the main word, attitude. And I mean, we have uh, Slash. Uh, he was like a kleptomaniac bum, you know. Uh, according to himself, when they started, he would steal his belongings, and he would, uh, you know, live by the day. I think. In, uh, in its truest form, uh, which I think rock bands maybe didn't do in the late 80s, right? They didn't live by the day. I mean, to tie back to uh, our discussion earlier with uh, Green Day, yeah. uh, maybe they had board meetings by then, right? <laughs> and, you know, uh, the rock bands. And in comes this, uh, these kids, you know, these, uh, these rowdy backstreet kids, <laughs> yeah. to reference Black Sabbath. And uh, just making rock and roll dangerous again, maybe. Yeah. I addressed before that uh, rock was really cool back in the day where Richie Blackmore would blow up the stage mm. and then would, they would escape in a, in a helicopter, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, California Jam 74. And this is uh, 15 years later and they're bringing it back, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you kind of got to respect this band, I think. <laughs> I was just thinking about the, it's kind of funny, the this helicopter thing. I mean, the. Yeah. Is it really cool to arrive in a helicopter? I guess, I guess so. Yeah, because it, it's so such a, a cliche, you know. Like even helicopters, their first gig on Hultsfred Festivalen, the Kalashevan, this small-time uh, uh, music producer, I think he started a, a record company just for them to release their album, and he said like he was also promoting them. He said, "Yeah, let's have a secret gig backstage on uh, in the uh, on Hultsfjell's Festival, and only for other bands and journalists." Uh, so they did, and they <laughs> they, they said, oh, "But uh, we should arrive in a helicopter." Uh, of course, because we call helicopters, and uh, they could could only afford a small helicopter, so the, only Nicky Andersson could fit. <laughs> so he runs <laughs> over the field <laughs> in Småland towards the small, super small stage, and then he he's totally like freaking out because it was so scary to fly in the helicopter. <laughs> and then he goes up, but then he plays the gig, and it's like that is like their start. Uh, everyone got uh, madly yeah. in love with them, uh, but I think mo- mostly for their playing and the the songs they're playing there the helicopter i think most people didn't see it you know like he lands yeah. 200 meters away <laughs> no one saw it that's so swedish in a way it's so swedish you can really tell that he's never going to be a rock star per no. se i mean he's a he's a rock hero for us but uh, rock star maybe not this is little sweden the land of the ice and snow you know you you arrive in a epa tractor perhaps you know that would be more fitting. Yeah, I mean, they had uh, Dregen in the same band. You know, he's more compatible with helicopters, I would say. Um, anyway. He's kind of Slash, you know. He's definitely the Slash of Sweden. Right? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Um, I was just I was just curious. I have to, sorry. Yeah, how this one. Funny riff, <laughs> especially yeah. tuned funny down. Funny ry- rhythm, right? And you, you had a funny dinosaur guitar sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> and if you talk about this verse riff, it modulates up quite nicely too. So they go from this A Dorian yeah. to um, E Dorian, uh, going up to uh, so like A Dorian, and then. 
which is almost like uh, Invaders, you know, Iron Maiden. I think they were Iron Maiden fans. Oh, okay, ironic, really? Which, which makes it interesting that Iron Maiden later aped them. <laughs> and maybe that's why it feels wrong to me because like you are the you're the blueprint you're not the, you're not following a new a new trend here but i mean not really no. it was definitely an identity crisis for them and it was not an identity crisis for guns and roses i think they're really actually an honest band for being so huge i think they're quite yeah. honest in this is the music we play right uh, but then again they didn't go that far in terms of discography not too many albums. Uh, no, but that's that's interesting. You know, they did this uh, Appetite for Destruction and Use Your Illusion Part One and Part Two, and then is yeah. is there one more before the fourteen year long hiatus with <laughs> with the with the, uh, Axel Rose sitting alone in this big mansion, uh, supposedly writing a masterpiece, which then actually comes out, and it's okay. I mean, it's it's not as bad as I uh, as I thought it would be and i really dug this uh, particular song irs where he sings about yeah. the irs it's a really good one yeah. uh, gonna call the fbi <laughs> gonna need the irs <laughs> yeah i love that song uh chinese democracy i mean it came out and for me it was zero anticipation it was just like okay let's put this on it might be a joke yeah. you know uh put it on and uh, it's not a joke really but you can feel that I'm gonna. I want to run that by you. That vibe when an album is overworked, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've been at it for too long, and you can tell that it's kind of been rearranged and arranged again, like a piece pieces of Lego, yeah, for years, and it gives this weird vibe. Of, exactly, uh, but the urgency is lost. No, he only had enablers around him, also like saying, "Yeah, Axel, that sounds great." I mean, uh, can we order some more drugs, maybe, and have some fun, have a party? Yeah, you guys can yeah. go out and have a party. I'm gonna sit here, and blah 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 blah. You know. Uh, so, I mean, so in between, in between that one and and use your illusion too, there's also the spaghetti incident oh, yeah. question mark. Yeah, I'd, I know zero about that album, so let, let's just leave it at that. But it sold well. It's a really, it's maybe ties uh, load and reload as the ugliest uh, covers of the 90s. Uh, I don't know if you agree, but it's really <laughs> yeah. ugly. It's just spaghetti, bolognese, yeah. <laughs> zoomed in. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of stupid, the Beck or, you know, 90s vibe to it. It's, uh, it's super 90s. I don't know what you call it, disc, disc banks realism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of, you take a Polaroid and then you... Uh, blow it up uh, it could be anything you know and that's that's kind of a 90s cover right um yeah you know how many album how many copies are sold of appetite by the way can you guess i thought you were gonna ask me do you know how many albums were released in the 90s i was like yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna have to guess <laughs> oh, that bad one. question <laughs> uh, appetite for destruction how many copies yeah it's a hundred million copies uh, I mean, it is huge, so not a bad guess, but 30 million, okay. and 18 million in the US alone, which is uh, oh, yeah. incredible amounts of albums. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's so, uh, much money. Yeah. <laughs> so much money. <laughs> so much money that goes up in the nose and out into this record that just takes 14 years. I mean, they were yeah. all kind of really. Uh, they they got they got really carried away with their fame, right? That uh, that is kind of the the narrative. That no one in the band could ha handle the fame. That uh, Duff yeah, McKagan became so. a raging alcoholic. Yeah, um, maybe like compatible with or comparable with uh, some hip hop stars, you know. 
coming from being a street a street bound klepto yeah. to be this millionaire right yeah within uh, years like a couple of years at at most and I, I don't know how would you be you know Ulle, <laughs> if uh, let's say you just your art became incredibly hyped and like the price is skyrocketing uh, you're receiving yeah just a shit ton of money for doing what you do how do you think you would react uh yeah that's uh Like I that. mean, maybe it's yeah, late yeah. enough for you now because you have a kid, so you have a constant responsibility. So maybe you just put it in the bank and you know, invest <laughs> yeah. smartly and now, yeah, be yeah. a good provider. I don't it's know totally because now all the bars are closed anyway, and you can't travel anywhere. So <laughs> I don't know what's the point. Yeah, and I was thinking about that the other day though, when I like really paid for the floor that we have to put in to the apartment. I'm like, wow, I remember when I had like. A, an allowance of 25 kroner uh, a month and i was saved that up to buy me like a jurassic park dinosaur or later when i i got 750 kroner uh, child care and I, i i i bought five records for that now i'm paying like thousands of euros for a floor and it's like does it, i don't even care i mean of course i don't have a lot of money it's just like everything just scales up yeah and uh, also the the interest in it kind of yeah it doesn't really matter i mean i just need money so i have to make money um you know and I, but uh, yeah straight i don't know if you know what i mean but it's just uh, yeah i do recognize this feeling this economic thing uh, when i um, when my phone breaks my smartphone like let's say after two years of usage i'm not happy to get a new one i don't really want a new phone i need a new phone like you need a new floor right so in comes this expense that you know as a kid uh, or even a teenager if you spend two three hundred four hundred euros it'd be something to look forward to a new big thing But now it's just a necessity, you know. So money is kind of boring in a sense when when you get older. I think it's not the same. And I think if if you reach stardom at this young age like Guns N' Roses, it's different. Then it's a, it's an adventure to have this money and to have all that blow up your nose, right? So uh, I think if, for me as well, if I became rich rich now, I would be more of an old man rich than a young man rich. I would say. Yeah, but I think it's uh, Welcome to the Jungle. It also has, um, it presents uh, a, it's a really good starting point to get into Guns N' Roses. And that's quite a beautiful uh, chorus also. Um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's uh, all the instruments come together, of course, and the Axel singing, but it's really like sweet and tender in a way. And I, I like this contrast of this um, hyped, uh, hyped intro Uh, with the shonky riff and then uh, you know kind of a, a beautiful chorus and then like uh, this is a really funny uh, solo also if uh, it comes together quite nicely let's play it one more time Thank you. 
welcome to the jungle. Get fun and game. Uh, welcome out of the jungle, I guess. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. man. Where are we heading? Where are we heading? From the jungle to where, I wonder. We're going to the desert. There we go. Uh, I want to say Caius. Is that a good guess? Yes. It's uh, exactly the right guess. Cool. Caius, cool band. Mm. The song is Whitewater. Uh, one of my favorite riffs, I think. To play, it's extremely nice. And um, to play it, you have to have a bass amplifier. You have to have uh, your bridge pickup. And... Uh, you got to tune down to C, and you got to have this fresh-looking blonde, red blonde posh that only Josh Homie can uh, uh, sport. Yeah. And it has to be the 90s. But I'm doing my best, and I'm standing up today because I felt like, oh, I really have to do it. And it really works with this riff, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, it felt really good to... Riff it out. Yeah, unmistakable sound, I think. Definitely, definitely. That kind of a muddy dinosaur sound or desert sound, yeah. if you will. Yeah. yeah, but it's extremely nice. It, it becomes really warm and encom encompassing in a way. It's like high, lying in this, uh, you know, lava-fueled mud bath in the prehistoric dinosaur times. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, kind of hiding from the T-Rex, but also kind of just like relaxing <laughs> it has this uh, really warm tones right yeah uh and especially like if you go to another song of theirs uh this one Yeah. 
Yeah. Super warm. Very warm. <laughs> so nice. Warm and fuzzy, you know. Uh, fuzzy, warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I think that's that's a term. And warm, really warm it, it and fuzzy. Takes, takes me back to quite a few memories. I did see Caius live, uh, but under the moniker of Caius Lives. So, uh, of course, John Garcia Caius was lives. at the helm. Yeah, John Garcia was at the helm. Uh, of course, um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Redhead, um, Yoshiomi, was uh, occupied with other stuff. Uh, he's, you know. Definitely, yeah. Queens of the Stone Age, yeah. and uh, I think them crooked vultures as well. But I did get to see Caius anyway, and it mm -hmm. really sounded uh, like this. You know, uh, not far away from from your guitar sound here. It was in France. I saw them. Really cool gig. Uh, one of the better yeah. gigs that year, including Melvins as well and Down. Oh, nice. So quite a bit of Ulle bands uh, on that festival. Um, very nice. <laughs> Definitely. So the other song I played, the first song I played was Whitewater, and the second one was uh, uh, Super Scoop, uh, no, Super Scoopa and the Mighty Scoop, uh, <laughs> both from the album Welcome to Sky Valley from 94, 95, somewhere around there. Uh, really early stoner rock. Uh, Josh Homme doesn't want to be, uh, he doesn't like that moniker, but I think it's just like, it is what it is, you know. It is yeah. also what it became. It became this huge uh, influence on this whole scene. And uh, now I'm kind of revealing my secret trilogy. Can you guess what it's been? The last few, th with this episode and the last two, what is my trilogy? Yeah, you told me that you had a secret trilogy going on, and then I thought, okay, uh, corrosion of conformity, uh, spiritual beggars, what's next? Probably down-tuned. Probably box like, uh, stoner like, or um, groove. So I would say a trilogy of uh, down tuned stoner grooves. Is that near, near correct? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that far actually. I, I was just like, yeah, we got Captain Beyond. I'm kind of starting my own secret uh, trilogy, riff trilogy. Like, you know, that's a proto stoner rock. And then right. we go go forward in time to spiritual beggars, and then we go backwards again to Caius. But it's this uh, uh, this uh, type of riffage that is uh, you know known as stoner rock, and uh, yeah, I can I can I can you know with, with getting some hate, but labeling uh, Captain Beyond as proto stoner, I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, but I I really I really felt it was nice to tune down the guitar last week, so I kept it in in C. And then I was like, okay, there's only one band uh, that I want to play now. And just because, it, and it, it, it kind of have to stand up to do this chugging chuffles, you know, like in, uh, in the Super Scoop. With, uh... It's really nice to stand up and do that motion. And then we have a, yet another riff, I just keep them coming. There was actually headbanging. Yeah. <laughs> I want to call it's it so, Green Hell, so nice, but that's a misfit uh, song. It's not Green Hell. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's almost a Green Machine from their uh, the album that came before, right. uh, Blues for the Red Sun. Um, mm. It's uh, I mean, it's really the sound that I got so into it when I was uh, fifteen. 
uh, the whole stoner rock thing. And I remember I went to my history teacher who was this, uh, he was a history teacher, but he was also a music producer. And he looked uh, kind of like Noel Gallagher or something like this. Uh, or rather like um, the guys from Popsicle, you know, with hmm. this... Uh, uh kind of greasy uh um uh, beatles hair uh but a cool guy but i i played him um this this two different songs i played him and then i played Which one do you think he liked? Uh, Which one do you think he hated? Uh, he probably liked the, the shit. I don't know, actually. Did he like... I have another funny memory here, so I'm going to keep that in, on the top of my mind. But <laughs> maybe he liked the... Uh, maybe he liked the uh, Kai's riff. I don't know. No, he hated it. He thought it was <laughs> uh, really, really boring and, and stupid. And also... Uh, but he really loved uh, Angel of Betrayal by Spiritual Beggars. Uh Yeah, funny. <laughs> I don't know. It reminds it me of your friend Svante, who's you know into uh, classic music, classic music, classical music, and um, jazz. And he came to see one of our early mm. shows where we played Angel of Betrayal. And, and then he came to me yeah. after with his calm, uh, calm demeanor, like, "Yeah, that song about uh, putting your tongue into a cave. That was pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> Den här låten om att stoppa tungan i en grotta. <laughs> Sorry, it's so much fun to stand up for yeah. once and riff. Nice, right? Uh, it really works better. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, maybe we can talk about this. I mean, we can talk about Caius. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of had an idea with, uh, with this uh, Stoner trilogy also. Right. This like because here is kind of where you know where people mostly talks talk about riffs you know like in any other music genre it's like yeah the riff is something you you put in the song you know that repeats that make people remember it but with stoner rock and maybe uh, like uh, subsequent genres like doom uh, and uh, whatever you know like there is kind of this search this like endless search for the perfect riff some kind of it's a kind of like a a mantra yeah. and uh yeah you have a you have a take on that yeah i mean uh, in in our prequel episode uh, number four in the maiden mania i talked about with um, axel brink the younger brother of the two he that's his like version of what a riff is uh, from his playing in stoner and doom bands i really like how you pronounce doom by the way if you're finished doom doom <laughs> and uh, that endless doom. search for the riff so that that really kind of Tied the tied those brothers into our brotherhood in a sense, you know what we are trying to do, searching for riffs and the stoner genre really like it's the riffiest genre probably of all and I get a few recollections when you're playing now with this nice fussy down tuned sound. There's a lot of memory lane for me because when I started listening to heavy metal, I found it a little bit corny, you know, uh, which I still do, but I've come to accept <laughs> it. You know, it's 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 what I like. But I really gravitated towards Black Sabbath because of that cool groove-oriented sound that maybe was less uh, yeah. tense, you know, in a sense. And uh, and also, of course, developed from there. And then uh, for fast forward a few years, I worked in this tiny bar, KGB, 
And uh, I had so many of these Kairos worshipping guys from Nyköping, Norrköping, Härnösand, Östersund, uh, you name it, in, in Sweden. And <laughs> See I, a pattern. I, that was like my only, uh, only time I was like, a, I had a claim to fame as a front of house engineer because I would, I would simply make it very loud. <laughs> that was, that was my mo, you know. <laughs> and and these kind of bands, they need to be loud to get the right balance because the drummers are always blasting the shit out of those cymbals, you know, really crashing the ride, which makes this steady all over the place you got your orange yeah. amps tuned up uh, turned up and uh, yeah i have a lot of fond memories actually from from those days being the the go-to guy for a, a live stoner sound on small stages in stockholm so uh, like a mm -hmm. uh, good trilogy and uh, interesting um, interesting riff topic right yeah i think so and what i what i feel you know when i thought about first doing this podcast it was like yeah, what kind of riffs are there? Like the first ones I thought about, it was like Caius and Spiritual Beggars and Captain Beyond. Like now we, we took us a while to arrive there. Uh, but you, you notice that there is so much more uh, stuff going on. And almost all music has, you know, a, a melody that, um, that repeats. Yeah. Because that's how we kind of enjoy listening to music or a beat. And a, yeah. and a and a, you know a melody and a beat together that repeats. <laughs> I can say that three times. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it was interesting. Maybe uh, it was interesting to go on this journey first, like to arrive here where I thought was starting point. But now I feel like that's yeah, it's not so necessarily you know the start or the end. It's just like part of it, part yeah. of the whole musical search. But I like what I do like is this search for uh the the ultimate riff yeah the you know, ultimate riff. it's uh and you make these small 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 alternations right to maybe make it even groovier uh, like a, a little stop or a little muted note you have this intro which is you know going over again and then but then it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's getting out of tune here. Anyway, but um, you're playing with normal yeah, but strings, th right? This now you're playing with these ten forty six. Yeah, probably, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but these tiny variations that are like the 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 stoner formula. I think it's nowhere clearer than in uh, Whitewater by Caius that you have the the main riff, which is. Uh, where you have you know a variation at the end of each bar you know that is really you know riff 101 and it was, it's funny how Josh Holm was homie was really into this uh, at the start uh, but then strayed further and further away from it and kind of had to um, uh, you know, launch himself sideways to you know with the Queens of the Stone Age to kind of escape this uh, yeah. this pattern, which is uh, but it, which is very relaxing, but also very danceable. But then he went more angular, as we like to say on the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, taking out notes out of the out of his um, uh, scale, 
his yeah. own scale that he has, which is more like a pol- polka scale. Yeah. Uh, but at this this time, you know, he w- they were young. They were, they were young high school friends. Uh, Josh Homme, Brent Bjork on drums, um, John Garcia, and uh, yeah, Nico Oliveri later on uh, on bass. But uh, they started playing these parties out in the desert where they brought their own generator and beer. And then they played until the generator, you know, uh, lost its power or broke. And it was in the middle of the desert. It was maybe you could have um, a uh, a building lamp there or something. You, you know, a little light. Um, yeah. And you were standing like in the middle of the crowd. I think that's, it's such a cool uh, scene. Yeah, really. And in the middle of this desert... A community that's really conservative and high, high strung and uptight, and the, all these kids—they know that the punk scene is going on in the big cities, but they're so far away from it. So they invent their own style. Yeah, um, and it's probably because they have no idea. You know, like they have no idea what's going on. They, they can't afford to go anywhere, so they make it up. Um, of course, inspired a lot by um, uh, punk music, but also Black Sabbath. Uh, yeah. And then you know bo- both and and Kai is, is and this is really like if I'm saying interesting, but I'm, the the a, a casual listener might be wondering why I'm saying interesting. But interesting is that they play both fast and slow. You're right. Um, which is uh, not. I mean, I, it's kind of there is a choice, you know, in playing this kind of music that you play either like doom uh, or stone rock that is slow, you know. But but I would say stone rock is generally a bit faster mid-tempo yeah uh, a bit up up tempo and then you have doom uh, which i got explained to me by doom dog who was this guy in Uppsala <laughs> in sweden who i met who introduced himself to me by saying hello in swedish now hello i my name is doom dog and what kind of doom do you listen to <laughs> <laughs> like, there is no other music for him he only listens to different genres versions of doom with like doom. the slightest variations but for him it was the whole universe you know to uh, yeah. to escape to these different planets planet uh, you know like uh, i don't even know the diff- i forgot all this um, when i was younger i knew all the sub uh, genres of uh, stoner rock and doom metal uh, but i don't anymore yeah. but what can they be called you know space doom <laughs> who knows who knows cosmic doom <laughs> revenge doom. revenge doom <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> how does that sound wait 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 we'll try some revenge doom Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I've got some, I've got some reactions here. I'm kind of waking up, uh, dear listener. I've been having a little bit of a technical difficulty, so I was thrown out of the game a few times already during this session. It's harder than to keep keep your mind on the riff, so to speak. But here we have some yeah, some yeah. interesting takes. Uh, I've got two main things here, uh, so I'll do one. Uh, you comment. I'll do the other. That works, right? That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> how we usually do yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, again, I'm a bit thrown out here, but uh, trying to... Okay, I'm I'm focusing on the ball now. Um, We have this generator parties, right, in the desert. The Mm. kind of do-it-yourself concert thing. And uh, for a period between 2014, 2018, I attended a lot of these forest parties. 
in and around Stockholm, also uh, in and around Berlin. And uh, it's a similar vibe, mm -hmm. what they're doing with these dance music parties, that uh, you're going out of the establishments, you're leaving the concert halls or clubs, and you're doing it yourself uh, by putting this engine out in the open and gathering a bunch of people around, and you get this really possibly stronger vibe. You I mean, imagine that starlit desert and uh, completely just playing mm -hmm. and uh, tripping out until the dawn. Uh, I think it's like yeah. an interesting rebellion of sorts, right? Uh, you're taking back entertainment, yeah. back to the people in a sense. Totally agree. I think in a similar fashion to what the cross-dressing black guys would do in Chicago with house music, right? With the old drum machines that no one wanted, mm. they became the house bands. I think I think you're totally right. This uh, the the reality of music is that it becomes commercialized so fast because it's, it becomes a commodity, a commodity that is so easy to package, uh, either as you know a CD or vinyl or MP3. Uh, that is uh, like connected to a subscription service, streaming service, or you know, just a Mr. Music uh, subscription where you get. You know, <laughs> did you have that when you were a kid? I, I recognize yeah. the name. But, uh, yeah, I didn't have it. Miss, okay, super tangent within the tangent. Um, <laughs> Mr. Music was this like it went on for several years, but it, it was just like collection of the top ten lists uh, of music, pop music. And I, uh, that was, I, I had totally forgotten about it, but we, me and my brother, Victor, we uh, uh, had a subscription. So we each month got uh, Mr. Music CD. And the CD had this uh, garish, ultra ugly cover made in a computer, like really CGI, but I thought it was so cool and it really influenced me. And I, I used to sit and listen to like, um, Aqua or whatever was the was the shit on this uh, Doctor Bombay or whatever was on these uh, records. I didn't yeah. really care. I just had this subscription. I never, you know, stopped <laughs> stopped it. Perhaps Lou Bega. I don't you remember Lou Bega. Like Mambo Number Five. It was a bit. It was a bit. Yeah, I remember Number Five. Mambo Number that's not that song anyway back back to the future um the, so i was sitting listening to that uh where was i actually yeah i was yeah thinking about music so easily commoditized uh made into yeah. a, a thing that you can package a lot of people make money from it and a lot of people you know force your hand we, we've kind of been touching on this lately with also with captain beyond that their management management really sucked their life out yeah. of them and uh, that they didn't get anywhere because they didn't know how to yeah, or accept second album yeah also that you're forced you can't make your own stuff and like ironically called i'm a rebel where they're being completely you know put out of it yeah you remember when we when we played in these small festivals uh where we had we had to sell the tickets ourselves uh yeah super Super boring, uh, uh, that, that really went on for a couple of years, uh, twenty years ago now. I mean that you had to sell your own concert tickets. That no, you had to do, you had to work like twice as hard to play music. Yeah. And then you imagine these kids just going out, uh, be it house, uh, mu electronic music, or uh, yeah, stoner rock in the desert. You know, like just doing yeah. it. And I think exactly. the best time I ever had. Playing, li playing live was 
in in my studio at art school just me and my drummer friend we just started jamming and everyone came in and we were just playing you know like bastardized versions of uh, bread fan you know like a something like that for you know yeah. uh, 20 minutes and people were dancing and it was super nice uh, yeah. it's unexpected yeah unexpected and kind of taking the power back right you know because uh, for, for ex that example that you brought up very gotta take the power you know, back <laughs> having to sell our own tickets otherwise we had to pay what we didn't earn selling them uh, to have the spot on that festival mm -hmm. uh, really and then why not just do it yourself and keep the margin right because we didn't keep any of the margin we basically exactly. worked for the arranger in order to get to play so then yeah bring your bring your yeah. generator out and take the power back right uh, it really does make sense yeah. the same for these guys in chicago uh, they couldn't afford clubbing but they wanted to dance so they they took it in their own hands and i think that's important yeah. in music it really is uh, but uh, yeah my take it's also that even though you have this good time out in the desert, that there is going to be someone who makes it into a festival, who uh, charges uh, money and sells beer and all this stuff. It's just like, yeah, it, it's hard to get away from, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, do go on. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, the other thing I thought about was the, the moniker, stoner rock thing, and the genre, and Josh not being very comfortable mm. being like this grandfather of it. It uh, reminded me of another Gainey for Riffs alumni being Chuck Schuldiner of Death. That he said that, you know, he's, many believe that he created death metal. Uh, maybe he was, it could have been possessed seven churches as well. But, and he said that, okay, I'm fine and well with this, with this idea, but I don't want the responsibility for this genre. You know, he wanted to leave it and uh, also change up his rhythm, quite similar to how Josh Holm stiffened up his rhythm for Queens of the Stone Age kind of removed the, the stone mm. groove and went for another more straight eight note four four type groove more angular and um, oh. yeah i think it's it's about that like Chuck said like i don't want a responsibility for this i don't want to be the representative of death metal and then josh home didn't want to be the representative of of stone rock either like uh, it's fine if you started the yeah. movement but you've got to be free to leave it right what's your comment on that uh yeah i i think about I think often about how he describes his sound in those days that he would go, Josh Homme, he would go to the music store and he would dig in the bargain bin for the cheapest, most worthless uh, distortion pedals and he would use them and make them sound good. You know, really, you know, create his own sound with like things that people didn't want. Um, but but now you can, you know, buy his Kaio sound in a uh in a vst for software <laughs> software distortion or like as a as a ready-made uh distortion pedal like costing way more than uh you know his gear back in the day yeah and uh i think this is indicative of how the music music yeah how the music industry works and you know like we have to deal with that uh i mean we we do our thing here at again for riffs for no money, I would say, although there has been some interesting developments lately. Uh, <laughs> I was oh, yeah. going to ask you right. if this is going to be... Uh, you, yeah, tell me, tell us. 
sponsored segment. No, not really, not really. But I did contact this. Uh, I found this interesting uh, Finnish uh, headphone company, a small company, and I like their attitude, uh, Valko.io. And they had this kind of uh, uh, like a pitch where it was like, why support a big evil corporation when you can support a small, moderately evil Finnish corporation? <laughs> and uh, I also like that they wrote, with every uh, every couple of headphones we sell, we plant a tree. So Valko is totally greenwashed. And I like that they call themselves greenwashed. You know? <laughs> kind of uh, open book. So I, I contacted them and said that I've, I've got this podcast going on and uh, uh, I want to try your headphones really out of the blue. Uh, and I also said that I'll, I'll buy them if you don't want to do any sponsorship. They told me we don't do sponsorships, but we'd love to send you a couple of headphones. So that's pretty much it, and uh, that's the only that the, that's the only financial gain uh, aside from all the riff gains that we've been doing. So, uh, yeah. Looking forward to listen to them, <laughs> and possibly use them for the pod. There we go. Yeah, nice, nice. Now you see, uh, commercialized. Even, even you, uh, <laughs> even you are commercialized. <laughs> no, but I mean, this is yeah. interesting. You know, like you make, but you make something, and and it is uh, it's a bit. Um, can be sad that everything is connected to money, but that's how we live. Um, and it's not really, you know, the main takeaway, but I think the, the important part is that you really had to be part of it when it was going on. And I think that was what Josh also said, you know, that when uh, Kai's Lives became a thing and they asked him if he wanted to join, he was like, not in a million years, man, mm. or my friend. You know, they, he then he claims that... Um, uh, you know, like either you were there or you missed it. You know, like there was mm -hmm. a thing going on there, and uh, maybe you should have been there, or maybe uh, too bad that you weren't born. But I mean, there, there are bands now. There's music now that you can be part of, and that is way more important than going to see a retro show. Uh, although now recently I heard that they were gonna do a a, uh, a reunion of sorts, but uh, we'll see how that goes. But I think that was a strong message until I heard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that he wasn't that strong thinking that strong feeling that strongly about it but we'll see um, yeah i kind of agree and don't agree at the same time you know because uh, i think it's it's you know saying it like that like it happened uh, and it's gone it's a little bit of his own perspective only right i don't think he's really of course you know, yeah, empathizing of course. with listeners there he's just he's just pulling out his own life and applying it to everybody else and also, I would say that it had happened yeah. already before, in a way. You know, you already had Black Sabbath twenty years back. It was already celebrating the past in a sense. So I think maybe he's a little bit out of it there. But also, yeah, like but, but tying but back think, to to the other band here, yeah. Guns N' Roses, they also waited forever to do the reunion, and they, it was also never in a million years. But you know, lo and behold, it happened. They did go on tour again with Slash and with Ax Axel. Yeah. So you know. And Axel toured with ACDC, <laughs> of all bands. <laughs> yeah, and did it weirdly well as well, really strange. Mm. Uh, yeah, one final take there. I think, I think he means really specifically Caius, and not like just in mm -hmm. general, you know? Like he means all that, right. yeah. And, but I think that you're also right there, that it's for him personally, but something that he didn't want necessarily to revisit because you know he always tried to go forward but interesting to see if they make a small reunion uh, i thought i'd just play uh whitewater again because i, sure. I, I have been standing up the whole for <laughs> one and a half hours it feels a bit uh this feels nice uh but it's also you know like uh 
you know, you get a bit hyped up. You want to play something. Sure. Right. It's, it's, it's a nice sound. A little medley there from yours truly, the standing. The standing <laughs> only. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to sit down or tune up again. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it's a nice sound, right? It is a really nice sound. And I've had so much technical issues today. So as soon as you start playing, I relax more because I just listen. And like, it doesn't matter if it's out of sync or <laughs> like, uh, dear listener, you can imagine me being outside now in Sweden, walking knee deep in snow. That's how my tech has been working today. So um, uh, high hopes for the editing. <laughs> here we go. But really, I mean, good, interesting takes here. I hope I can make something of it because I think the combination, again, works pretty well. And with this discussion about how music gets commercialized and where we are. And uh, now I might need a new computer. So there's another another floor for me. You need a floor, yeah, I need yeah, a yeah. new computer, it seems. Maybe you can order one. Very nice sound. Fits your fits your playing well, I think. Because uh, when you hit the strings hard and have this sound, it's a good uh, juxtaposition combination of heavy attack but with a yeah. fuzzy bass-ridden sound. Yeah, yeah. I was interesting to just uh, turning my uh, my amplifying. Uh, there's this amplifier pedal I have in my uh, in my line here. And I'm turning it into the bass settings, and it gives this—it really gives this warm, fuzzy sound. Also, when you have the fuzz totally up to 11, and uh, playing on your bridge pickup, uh, neck pickup, of course, uh, I've been saying it wrong, and you get this even darker tone. But it gets really hot and fuzzy. I really like it. Yeah, I remember when I started playing guitar that I always wanted to be on the neck pickup because I felt it was too fizzy or too bright on the, the bridge but then obviously as you get get into yeah. it you find the perks perks of that kind of more let's say more uh, trebly sound yeah. you find perks like the attack of you can control the attack more with the plectrum but also when you have this sound you can you don't have to mind so much how hard you hit it you can hit it really hard you can stand up and you can mm. still what comes out is uh, is very smooth in a sense smooth but uh, dirty you know <laughs> all right man uh that's it right i think we call it a day uh you go buy a new computer 
and I uh, go look at my floor. Yeah, it was rough today. That uh, was a rough time, but we had good time anyway. Every week can't be uh, smooth sailing, right? We have to work a bit. Work our yeah, ass I mean, off a little uh, bit. Show must go on, right? <laughs> uh, and I like to just end with this riff that uh, that I was to that we made for our band, Reverend John Loth. Uh, I'll just play it because I felt so good playing it standing up. And it was really like inspired by Caius. Um, so yeah, enjoy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, hopefully your listening experience is rather smoother than my recording experience. Uh, I hope. We can always, you know, change the history in a way. <laughs> doing this. Yeah. Even though we do it live. <laughs> Still completely uh, live. But you know, it has its sides, I guess. And uh, we returned to Earth. We got stuck in. Uh, we returned to Earth. We got stuck in both desert and uh, snow, shit blizzard, I presume. But we made it through. And uh, if you want to tag along with us on this uh, rift journey, we will be back every Wednesday. Uh, we've got a lot of interesting stuff coming up this year, I do believe. Yeah, we've been recording so with so little time. Uh in between and uh, I don't actually know what I'm going to play next week But hey, dear listener, you've been listening to Game for Riffs, the only show about riffs uh, on the podcast heaven. Hopefully we'll get a bit uh, better reception next week, uh, technical-wise. Uh, but we do this for you guys. That we uh, But we also do it for ourselves and the monetary gain. So, uh, anyone who wants to sponsor us, uh, please hit me up. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bombing this dust NATO. Spawning this dust NATO. It for riffs.